0: Hey, tonight I'd like to do something, and hopefully this will be a blessing and not more of a, well, I think it will be a blessing. Uh, I'd like to do an overview of chapter 24 with you. You know, we've been looking at uh, Matthew 24, and we're, uh, next week we're going to be probably finishing just Matthew 24, but we've got Matthew 25 to come. And um, and then immediately after chapters twenty four and twenty five, we're going to be getting into Jesus' passion. We our passion where he's um, where he's going to be, you know, in the upper room with his disciples, and the wrongful accusations and the the um, the illegal proceedings that happened against him to arrest him. Uh, there were so many things wrong with that. Uh, conviction or whatever you want to call it, um, uh, taking him the way they did, they violated every law of theirs, uh, so many laws, Roman laws, uh, Jewish laws, and they did it all because they hated him so much that they were willing to do anything, and they even brought people who uh, trumped up charges and uh, you know that weren 't really uh, true and um, but we 'll be getting into that after we get through these two chapters, but I thought we would just take tonight, and just kind of review quickly, Uh, it'll take an hour, (laughs) but to review and just kind of go through in in abbreviated form, if possible, uh, just what we've covered over the last several weeks, Um, and specifically, I just want to get through the first 31 chapters tonight, or 31 verses, excuse me. And just kind of go through that again. Just to, And if anything, it'll, what it'll, tonight will do is it will solidify what you've already heard. And this is such a critical topic, uh, the Olivet Discourse. Um, there, are so many, there are so many books that have been written about these chapters. And it's one of the most important uh, chapters in the Bible. Uh, because Jesus spoke of end time events. And so uh, tonight, hopefully, we can get a... Um, Go a little quicker through those first 31 verses before we get into the parables at the end of 24, which will be next week, and hopefully it'll just bring you a more of a a panoramic view and maybe solidify some things that you've already heard. There's something about breaking up uh, segments like this that sometimes you can lose the continuity, and hopefully tonight we'll just kind of solidify it. So um, if you would, open your Bibles to Daniel's Daniel's, uh, prophecy, Daniel chapter 9. because really, Matthew 24 and 25, remember, Jesus gave this to his disciples, four of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, who was Peter's brother, gave this to them on the Mount of Olives, which, if you've been to Israel with us, you know that it's just east of the Temple Mount. There's the Temple Mount where the Unfortunately, the Dome of the Rock stands today. But then there's a Kidron Valley. And then over to the east over here is the Mount of Olives, where the uh, Garden of Gethsemane is as well. Okay, So Jesus was over there. And he was giving his disciples this briefing, if you will, on end-time events. Because they were so enamored by the the temple and what Herod had done. Herod had spent uh, a great deal of money to... um, Expand the temple complex, and to uh, and he was a great architect. There is no doubt about it. Herod was a great architect, but it was all about him, right? He he did it for the Jews just to appease them, because what better way to ingratiate a people to yourself, especially when they don't want you to be king over them, um, than to do something like this? It's sort of like a big favor, you know. He he gives them this grand and glorious temple. And, um, and updates the foundation of it. So it's even about double, uh, uh, quite a bit bigger than uh, the previous. But before we get into this, it's important that we understand what it is because uh, Daniel 24 is framed within Daniel's 70th week. And Daniel's 70th week is a seven-year period, yet future to us, where God is going to, again, turn his attention to the Jews, and he's also going to punish the world for its unbelief. And uh, it'll be a time of great persecution. Jesus said that if he didn't return at the end of those seven years to end the great tribulation, his wrath, not only the Antichrist and his armies wreaking havoc, but God's wrath upon them and upon the world, if he didn't come and end it when he does, that no flesh would survive it. But for the elect's sake, he would make this shorter. And so even in his judgment, we see grace, and I, and I like that. And if you've ever been in a situation where you've undergone uh, something and you know you deserve it, and the whatever it is doesn't last as long as you thought it was or thought it could be, um, you walk away very grateful, because especially when you're going through pain, you know, if, if that pain can be abated somehow, you're very thankful, or at least you should be, right? And so the Lord does that. But notice in Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27, this is really the the foundation of what Jesus is talking about. And and certainly he is thinking about this prophecy, and uh, for good reason, because he is the one who inspired Daniel to write this. He inspired Gabriel to give this message to Daniel. It came from the Lord to begin with, do you understand? And so um, the Lord already knew all about this and so he's giving him prophecy of what's coming in the future and so daniel again writing some five or six hundred years bc okay he's writing somewhere in the in the in the sixth century bc and daniel writes this and it's given to him by an angel gabriel Notice, so 70 weeks are determined for your people, Daniel, and your people ought to signify, of course, that means the, the Jews, right? And your holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That hasn't happened yet, has it? But um, it will It will happen when Jesus comes. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy, that certainly is speaking of the Lord. He says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild, or build Jerusalem, excuse me, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And after the 62 weeks segment, if you will, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it will be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Okay, so we've already seen the fulfillment of these first 69 weeks. We saw it when uh, you know, Artaxerxes made the, the decree, and then 100, uh, 173,880 days later, Jesus comes riding in on the donkey, fulfilling many prophecies, right? And so those 69 weeks have already come. And Jesus, remember, just a few days after his triumphal entry, he he came in on a Monday, and on Friday, he was crucified. And so he was killed. And that's what it says, that when the Messiah shall be cut off. The Hebrew means he was literally executed for a crime. And notice it says, but not for for himself. It wasn't because of something that he did, and it wasn't for him. It was, uh, little did they know that... uh, His death would bring in uh, um, all of us, you know, by faith. And so, but there remains this last final week of years, right? This seven-year period. And there has been a lot of time between Jesus coming in on the donkey and the fulfillment of those 69 weeks. There's been nearly, just over 2,000 years, nearly 2,000 years. And this... 70th week, this last seven week period, hasn't occurred yet. Right? But notice what it says in verse 27. And Notice in verse 27, it says, Then he, you have to define who he is. You go back earlier and we find out who this he is referring to, and it's speaking of the prince who is to come. Meaning, uh, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. We know that Titus and the Roman legions, they were the ones who destroyed Jerusalem. So we believe that in the future yet, there is going to be a revived Roman Empire, based on very many scriptures, which we're not going to get into tonight, but the leader of that, Roman, that new revived Roman Empire, yes, uh, we thought it was dismantled, but it's alive and well in Europe right now, and it's waiting to arise. And there's going to be one world ruler that's going to come up out of the European Union or whatever over there, and he is going to be this man of sin, this one who is the prince who is to come, this revived Roman Empire. He is the, the toes and the feet of Daniel's statue that we read about right in Daniel 2. And so, notice what it says about this man. It says that he, speaking of this Antichrist, let me just get to the point, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, and even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So we know that he is going to, at the very least, we don't know what's all part of this covenant that he's going to make, but at the very least, we believe it's going to be the ability politically to build a temple. Because up until now, there is no way politically that you're going to build a temple on the Temple Mount with the Muslim Dome of the Rock and the Al Aqsa Mosque nearby. It's not happening. So this guy is going to be a genius. He's going to be able to appease everybody. And it's going to be something that it's going to be fairly easy for him to do, perhaps because the church will be removed, and there's going to be such an upheaval in the world, it may be very easy for him to make this appeal to the Muslims and to all of the world, to kind of unite together and to have these two things working side by side. We don't really know the particulars, but he is going to uh, broker this um, this this thing to make it happen at the very least, but in the middle of that week, he is going to set up an image of himself, and and so and uh, and the Bible has a lot to say about this, and we're going to look at that. But that is the backbone; that is the the foundational scripture of what Jesus, because Jesus inspired this. It's going to be the thing that he's going to be referring to. In fact, in verse fifteen of Matthew twenty four, we see when Jesus says. And you've heard of the abomination of desolation, right? He he speaks of him uh, as yet future because he's referring to this very passage in Daniel that we're looking at tonight. And so, and um, so I believe that verses four through forty-four. We're only going to look at verses four through thirty-one, or one through thirty-one today. But I believe those specifically. Those specific verses outlines this 70th week of Daniel that we've already looked at, again culminating in the return of Christ to the earth, also called his second coming, the second coming of Christ. Now verses 4 through 14 can definitely be placed, we believe, within the first half of the tribulation period. And Revelation 6 through 18, uh, we call those chapters in Revelation the, the, the events that are going to take place during the tribulation period. So chapter 6 of Revelation through 18 uh, is what we call the great tribulation period. And, and it's laid out for us in uh, seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and then bowl judgments. And each successive wave gets worse and worse and greater in greater intensity and in pain and suffering before Jesus brings an end to it by coming back to the earth. And so as we look through Matthew 24, there ought to be these uh, hallmarks, these post signs, these uh, landmarks or mile markers as we go along to outline what God has already inspired uh, John to write in the book of Revelation. And it happened and it works out that way. And so, and then verses, uh, so verses 4 through 14 can definitely be placed within this first half of the tribulation, this first three and a half years. And then verses 15 through 25 that we're going to look at tonight can definitely be placed at the midpoint of the tribulation. And that's roughly around Revelation 13 approximately. And then verses 29 through 44 in Matthew 24, it terminates the end of the great tribulation with the second coming of Jesus coming. And that happens in Revelation around uh, chapter 19, verses 11 specifically. And so we see this outline of things to come. And the Lord has given this to us, I believe, in his word to encourage us. So let's look at verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, he went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And remember, Jesus wasn't really impressed with Herod's architecture. Certainly it was beautiful, and the, the disciples were fawning over it, but the, um, the Lord wasn't really thrilled with it. It didn't make him uh, uh, be in awe like the rest of them. To Jesus, once Israel, once they had rejected him, all of this temple was worthless because they had, they had left behind the God that, that saved them and that wants to bring them back into fellowship with him. They, they denied this God who has given them such wonderful promises. And Jesus was ready to just, he, he left the temple mount, and he said, your house is left to you, desolate. In other words, it's yours. The, the glory has left the building, because you've made it a den of thieves. It was supposed to be a house of prayer. So it's important to note that Jesus refers to two temples in this chapter, and that's really important to understand, because once, uh, the, the one temple here, which was standing when Jesus spoke this, as he was on the Mount of Olives and as he looked west, just across the valley, and he saw the temple standing there, that was Herod's temple. That was the temple that was there at this time in 33 A.D. But the, and, and, uh, and Daniel 9.26 speaks of Herod's temple because in Daniel 9.26 it says, That after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It's speaking of the temple, because the sanctuary is the temple. And that temple has already been destroyed. Daniel prophesied that that would happen. And we're looking back in history and saying, yes, it happened in 70 AD. Even non-biblical sources say, yes, that is true. And it is true. It's already happened. But the other temple is in verse 15. And feel free to thumb there if you want to and just take a look at it because you might want to circle them and just make note that these are two different temples. And by doing so, you will do yourself a favor in understanding the chronology of all of this. And the temple spoken of in verse 15 is the temple that is yet to be built in Jerusalem. It's going to be the one that the Antichrist is going to desecrate. It's the one that when we went over to Israel in 2005, we went to the Temple Institute and we walked in there and they had all the vestures and all of the pots and the pans and the snuffers and all these different things ready for the temple. The the Jews are ready to rebuild their temple. All they need is just the go-ahead. And they will have, every, I mean, they have it already, folks. You don't understand. And once the edifice is built, they move in with all their stuff and everything is ready to go. The, the robes that the priests are going to wear, they're, they're ready to do this. They even tried to do it back in the 90s. I said it this morning. And they nearly created, I think it was the 90s. They tried to um, bring a, 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 a cornerstone up to the temple. And they, they, they caused a war. It caused a big chaos and a big fight. It was horrible. And so this is the one that Jesus, um, I'm sorry, the, the one in, in verse 15. Um, and so the, the, the temple that they're ready to build, they don't understand that this temple that they want to build so badly is actually going to be the man of sin that's going to inhabit that place ultimately, at least in the midpoint through the rest. And, and they, they don't understand that because their eyes have got scales over them unfortunately. Paul said that blindness in part has come to Israel. Right now, they're kind of blinded. They can't see it. And there are some Jews who have come to know, and they understand these things. But many Jews still are waiting for their Messiah to come. And when the Antichrist comes, he's going to solve their problems. He's going to allow them to build the temple. Wouldn't the Messiah do that? A Messiah would do that. And so they're going to readily embrace this This man, and little do they know that three and a half years into this, he's going to show us true colors. And then they're going to freak out. And then they're going to realize that they've been wrong all along. Right? And so when Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, um... Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Um, Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And, and, and like I said before, that really did happen. And this is uh, proof of it. There's me standing on them. I love this picture because um, it was just so exciting to be standing on these rocks. Because they were, they were, at one point, they were up on the Temple Mount before the Romans pushed them off. And they laid there. That's where they've been for almost 2,000 years. They've been sitting there, and um, it's pretty fascinating. But notice in verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? Because he's talking about the temple being destroyed. Lord, when are these things going to be? Tell us when these things will be, and then what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, this seems like three questions here, but it's really two. It's really two questions, I believe. Um, In his book, um, Understanding the Olivet Discourse, Thomas Ice said the following about this. He says, the sign of your coming and the end of the age in Greek reads more literally the sign of your coming and end of the age by not repeating, and again, this is technical stuff, but it's worth noting because uh, as you're reading this, it's good to know that there's really two questions and, and where do these questions get answered. So by identifying two questions instead of three is helpful. And so, by not repeating the definite article, the, before the, or before the end of the age, Matthew's rendering of Jesus' words is most likely linking the coming of Christ and the end of the age together as one event. It's called Granville Sharp's Rule. You can look it up on the internet, but basically the absence in the, in the original Greek, okay, because the original scriptures, um, you have to remember, are the inspired ones. Uh, the, the translations there's issues sometimes. It doesn't affect doctrine, so don't worry. But there are a few little minor things that do make a difference, and this is one of them. Because when you put a definite article in front of something, it means that it's something in addition to. But that's not here in the original Greek. So really, the, the end of the age, um, the end of the age, and the, uh, the the sign of your coming and end of the age, they're really one thing. And the and the Jews believe that because of their understanding of an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah 14, they believed that the end of the age and the coming of Jesus or the Messiah would be one and the same event because they would be rescued, uh, as it says in uh, Zechariah chapter 14. So Matthew in his gospel doesn't record Jesus answering the first question. He doesn't answer it in Matthew here. It's recorded for us in, in Luke. And Luke records the answer to that first question that they had said. When are these things be? When is the temple going to be um, torn apart and not one stone left upon another? Well, Luke tells us in Luke, 4, uh, Luke 13... Uh, Jesus said, uh, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones the who are sent to her. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Now notice they weren't willing. You know, it's not that they didn't have the information. One of the things that's really interesting about our relationship with God in the Bible is it's not about Knowledge You can read the knowledge, but if you're not willing to submit yourself to it, to the word of God, to Christ, then, you know, you're missing it. You're missing it, right? They weren't willing. They had the information, but they were not willing. And he says, see, your house is left to you desolate. In other words, I'm done with this. And assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is prophesying that there's coming a day at the end of time, at the end of this age. And the end of this age happens when Christ comes and sets up the new age, the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand year reign. Until then, we're still in this age Arguably, we're in the church age, but that the whole, the the end of this age will be coming to an end when Christ comes. And Luke uh, chapter 19, and I'm just going to read this one. I'm not going to read the last one for time's sake. Um, Luke 19, verse 41, this is immediately after the triumphal entry of Jesus when he came into Jerusalem, again, fulfilling Daniel's uh, prophecy that we read earlier. In verse 41, it says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had only known, even you, especially in this your day. The things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. And that, folks, has already occurred. That description of the building an embankment around Jerusalem, you, those, those things are still there today. I know in Masada, the, the Roman army, as they were circling in around Masada, when you stand on top of Masada, you, today you can still see the Roman embankments on the ground around you, where they held the soldiers. It, you can still see them. It's very clear. And they did the same thing in Jerusalem. So Jesus answered this question of theirs. When will, the, when will this be? When will this temple be left, not left with one stone upon another? He answered that. He didn't give them the date. He could have said, you know what? In 37 years from this very moment, this temple is going to be scraped. Those rocks pushed off the edge that I was standing on. He could have said that, but he didn't. But it came, and it was fulfilled. Now, verses 4, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceives you. Deception is something that is uh, uh, very rampant in the world today. Um, whenever Jesus is about to do something, there's deception all around. There's deception Uh, When the scriptures are being taught, the devil, the enemy of your soul, wants you to not understand anything about this. He wants you to keep, he wants to keep you in the dark. He doesn't want you to understand the things of God and what God has planned, fulfilling prophecy. And see, the enemy doesn't have any power over God. God is all-powerful. There, uh, Satan, uh, Lucifer, was his r- original name. Uh, he, he was a created being. He is not equal with Jesus. He's certainly not equal with God. And yet he thinks in his pride that he can overthrow God somehow or at the very least thwart God's plan of redemption and thwart God's plans that he has already written to us in the scripture. The enemy even today is trying so hard to, uh, to do things to somehow discredit what God has said that he's going to do. But each step of the way, isn't this madness? Each step of the way, it must infuriate him. And so be it. He's infuriated me at times, and I think it's good that he has his share. He's infuriated that he is helpless. And yet in his pride and delusion, he thinks that he can somehow do something. And yet this is the madness of pride and the madness of deception. He is the master deceiver. He's deceived himself and he is not content until he deceives everyone else. So Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceive you. This is uh, one of the things, uh, you know, he answered the first question in, in, in Luke's gospel. When will these things be the destruction of the temple? He already told them that it's coming and what what the conditions are going to be like. But now they say, what about the the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Well, he says, take heed that no one deceives you. Now, as we look down through verse 4 through 7, these are very general signs. They're very general. In fact, we could probably place some of these things uh, into our time frame that we live in now. But it's going to get a lot worse once the church is removed because we believe this These verses, 4 through uh, 14, are all speaking of the first half of the tribulation period after the church has been removed. So let's look at it. And Jesus said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Is that happening today, folks? It is. Are there um, wars and rumors of wars? You better believe it. There have been wars. And we're hearing rumors of wars. So a lot of these things are very general enough that they fit even into our time frame right now. And certainly deception and nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines and pestilences. Hey, you think COVID was that bad? Wait till the church is removed. There's going to be an increase in pestilences in diseases and famines and earthquakes in various places. And those uh, verses that we looked at, and we're going to look at some more um, uh, through verse 14, There are two views, um, prominent views, concerning, especially for people like us, who we would consider ourselves futurists. Meaning, we believe that these events that Jesus is speaking to, because it's very clear that he's speaking of things yet to come, we are called futurists. So, somebody asks you, who are you? You can say you're a futurist. And you may hear the term preterist. Preterist speaks of something past, and there are those like Haig Hanegraaff and Gary DeMar and uh, Kenneth Gentry who all believe that all of these things, including the coming of Christ, they believe that it happened in the first century at around 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. They believe, I, I don't know how they do that, but, but they're very intelligent people, and, and they're Christians, and, and I don't doubt that they're going to go to heaven at all. I don't. But their eschatology is all messed up. You have to really do a lot of, there's an old phrase that says, if you torture the data long enough, it'll confess to anything. And I believe they've had to torture a lot of stuff and overlook a lot of stuff. And I'm not the only one who feels that way. There are real prophecy experts who all agree about this, so I'm just, I'll just add my name to the pile, okay? But the thing is, is, there's two prominent views for us who are futurists. We believe that these things are yet future, and that's a correct way to think. There's something called the Inner Advent view, and this is um, basically a time between Christ's first coming, meaning when He was born, and the at the beginning of the tribulation. So, when you look at this chart um, of the Inner Advent age, here is the birth of Christ. So, from this point until. Um, the tribulation begins and of course right prior to that the church has to be raptured but all this thing is called the inner advent age and it could be that these things that we're looking at in uh, verses 4 through 14 it could be speaking of something that's been progressively happening since the beginning of Christ's birth until the beginning of the tribulation that's one view and it's there's some validity to this and um, but as we look at verses uh, 4 through 7 uh, here shortly, or we already looked at that, I'm sorry, they're, they're general in nature. And so there is also one other view, and this is the uh, um, the tribulation view. And that is, um, if this is, if it's true that these verses, 4 through 14 specifically, if they are speaking of the first half of the tribulation, then there should be uh, the details of this, verses 4 through 14, should be represented in Revelation 6, beginning in 6 at least. Okay, And if you remember, uh, we went through this on a Sunday morning. And, and I'll just look at a few of these things. Number one, what about these, the, these events mentioned in verses 4 through 14 uh, th- that we have already read? False messiahs, false prophets, Jesus said. Is there any of that in, in the beginning of the tribulation in Revelation 6 in the, in the sealed judgments? Yes. It says in verse, chapter 6, verse 2, And I looked and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And this is not Jesus. This is the counterfeit Christ, the Antichrist, coming to uh, make war. And he's got a bow in his hand, he's, he's there to make war. But this is not Jesus. He's coming at the end in in chapter 19. This is the, the counterfeit Christ. And um, and what about wars and international discord? Revelation 6, beginning in verse 2, speak of that. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given... To him a great sword. So again this is speaking of wars, international discord. What about famines and pestilences? Revelation six, beginning in verse five, tells us that that when he opened the third third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. The idea here is there would be So much a great, such a great famine that you would have, you'd get very little for a lot of money. Okay? And so at this time in the tribulation, it's certainly going to happen that way. And when he opened the foresail, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature, Come and see. And I looked, and a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed after him, and power was given over him over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And so pestilence and famine are there. And what about persecution and martyrdom? Revelation 6 verse 9 gives us that. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And white robes were given to them, that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And this is speaking of those, those, those people in the tribulation period, the tribulation saints that had been beheaded or killed for their faith in Christ. What about earthquakes and cosmic phenomenon? It goes on in, in, in Revelation 6, 12, 12 through 14. We're going to skip that for the sake of time. But the idea is, it's very possible... That this tribulation view of verses 4 through 14 are speaking of those calamities that are going to take place in those sealed judgments. And many of them fall over into the, the trumpets and the bowls too. Some of the, 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 the things that are happening. So those things are very much there. So what, what view you choose is, is up to you. I, I, think the, I think the last one, the tribulation view, has some good merit as well finally we get to verse 8 Matthew 24 verse 8 and notice he says all of these are the beginning of sorrows the idea is birth pangs and this is the first time in the New Testament that this word here is used it's the word Odin it's a Greek word and it literally means pain and sorrow and a great travail like a woman going through you know, going through um, birth pangs And it seems that this is exactly what Jeremiah by the the spirit of the Lord was referring to um, of that time period. Uh, Jeremiah prophesying, speaking of this time that is yet future. Okay, So this is kind of a head spinner. Jeremiah chapter 30, what does it say? For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. And ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor. And so this is a similar word As what is found in Matthew 24 8, uh, the, the, the word of sorrows. And so, why do I see every man with his hands on his loin like a woman in labor and all faces turn pale? And here he tells us Alas, for that day is great. It is so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble. Notice that it's about Jacob, it's about Israel. The, 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 Jew, or the Gentiles, we have, for, for those who are a part of the church, the, the church has nothing to do with this. We are in glory with the Lord when all of this is happening on the earth. This 70th week, the day will be nothing like it. Uh, it's a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Remember that, because when Jesus returns... At the end of that tribulation period, he is coming to rescue his remnant. Aren't you glad that God loves to rescue? He rescued my life. He rescued my soul. Did he rescue yours? And so he's going to be faithful to his promises. He's been faithful to us as this unique body who has believed in him. But he's also going to be faithful to the promises that he's made to Israel from the past. And he's going to be faithful to that remnant that's going through the tribulation. I love, you know, when you think about Noah and, and the flood, think of how, what a type that was of what we're going to see, or we won't see it because we'll be with the Lord, but what is going to happen in the tribulation period. Back in Genesis, it talked about the flood. The whole world was lost. They all drowned. And who was on that ark? There were eight souls, and they were all Jews. They, they, they became Jews, actually. They, they were from the line of... Uh, um, you know, Abraham, or I'm sorry, from uh, uh, Adam going down through um, Noah. And so Noah is from those eight people, and they signify they were the only ones who survived on the earth. And yet God carried them in that ark while the flood was destroying everybody for 40 days and 40 nights. And that type, if you will, of them being preserved through judgment is the same idea that we're going to see in the tribulation. God is going to preserve that remnant, his people, through judgment. Not you and I, the church has been taken. God had a different plan for us, but his plans for Israel are very well documented in the Bible. The covenants, and he's going to fulfill those covenants. And the cool thing is, is that, the church, when we come back with Christ at the end of the seven-year period to begin the millennial reign, we are going to come back with the Lord. And then the Old Testament saints, the faithful believers, they will be resurrected in their new bodies. And and those who Christ has brought through the tribulation, they will also be there. And all of these promises that God has made to the church and to the Jews and to the Israel are all going to come to summation in a nice little bow at the end of it all, when he begins his millennial reign. I'm looking forward to that. He is the faithful promise keeper. Amen? So, verse 9, Then they will deliver you. And remember, it's very Jewish, this passage. So he's speaking to the disciples, and he's speaking of what's going to be happening to the nation and to the Jewish people at that time. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. You might want to underline that verse and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Yes, anti-Semitism is going to be on the increase. And yet the world is so upset about racism. Isn't it ironic to you that they're all uptight? And I, I, there should be no racism in the church, right? There shouldn't be. Who cares about the color of our skin, where we come from? I love this fellowship because we don't worry about any of that stuff. But yet, the people who are screaming about racism are the ones that hate the Jews. And they're, they're, they're doing the very same thing that they're, they're, all, they're all screaming about. And they're the biggest hypocrites in the world. And they should look in the mirror and be ashamed of themselves. Sorry, I get a little, uh, I get some pathos when I start talking about that. Because I hate racism on any level. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We were all created in the image of God. There is one race, human race. It started with Adam and Eve and all of this uh, genetic possibilities and permutations. It's what makes everything so wonderful. If we embrace it. In the church, we can do that. The world doesn't know how to do that because they, they're just they're governed by a different spirit. But you and I are governed by the Holy Spirit, amen? So, and many will be offended. They will betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Wow, i am uh, got to get through this here. And because lawlessness will abound, the love, the agape is the word there. That's an interesting, isn't it? And because lawlessness will abound, are, 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 is lawlessness abounding in our country right now in the world? It is, especially in our country right now. There's a big battle going on for the identity and the, uh, the, the, the core of who we are as Americans. It's, 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 we're, being, we're on the edge of losing it all. I'm just going to be frank with you. You may not agree with me, and that's okay. But lawlessness is abounding, even now. And what happens when that happens? The love grows cold. It doesn't have to. It shouldn't. But in the world, especially those who don't know God, they're, they're, people are killing each other over shoes that are on somebody's feet. There's somebody down right now in the middle of Rochester who's going to be murdered probably tonight or in the next couple days because he's wearing some fancy sneakers. Or he's got a $20 bill on him, and that's enough because I'm going to put a bullet in your head and take your $20. There is no love for anything. Lawlessness has abounded, and the love has grown cold and it's going to get a lot worse it's going to get a lot worse In this time frame. But he who endures to the end will be saved. This word saved does not mean salvation in the spiritual sense, but delivered physically from danger and destruction. And Jesus goes on in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. But this does not mean that if we go out as a church and we seek to evangelize, understand that your evangelism... Is something we should do, but we are not going to hasten the return of Christ by going out and evangelizing. Why do I say that? Well, because there's coming a time soon when the church is going to be raptured. Everything I read in the Bible concerning the church in the last days is not good, folks. There's more corruption, there's more compromise instead of seeing us rising to the occasion the church is kind of doing this downward slump and god is going to take us nonetheless and then in that tribulation period there's still people who are going to be saved and it's all dependent on god's time frame not what the church does it's not about our performance yet we should be out doing those things don't get me wrong And there is a theology out there that is called um, Kingdom Now Theology. And that's the, um, that is um, something that uh, happens. And that's a doctrine that is uh, very misguided. But then it goes on, verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, notice, here is another time reference for us. Underline it if you don't have it underlined already. Remember, Jesus is speaking in 70, I'm sorry, in 33 AD. And what does he say? Therefore, guys, when you see, or when, and and they're recording this, Jesus knows that this is a a thing that he's delivering to them, and they are going to be writing it down. They're going to be sharing this information because it was very important. He says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, notice, spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. So, Jesus in 33 AD is speaking about this abomination of desolation that is yet to come on the scene, prophesied by Daniel. About 500 years prior to when Christ was born, prophesying of an event that hasn't even happened yet. Do you realize how crazy that is? But that's because God sees outside of time. He can write history as if it's already concluded. He's given us that. That's what we're doing. We're reading it, He's told us what's coming. That's great comfort to me because none of this stuff that I'm seeing surprises me. It ought to be, it hurts to go through it. Don't get me wrong. Help. <laughs> now, there have already been two abominations, or one abomination of desolation has already occurred. And Daniel uh, chapter 11, verse 31 tells us the first one's recorded in Daniel 11. Verse 31, it's speaking of Antiochus the Epiphanes. And, and this happened back in 167 BC. It's already a done deal, it's history. And, and, and he, he caused the Jews not to, he invaded Jerusalem. He was a Syrian leader, Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes. He invaded uh, Israel, captured it. Uh, caused them to stop doing sacrifices, and instead he slaughtered a pig on their altar. And a pig is an unclean animal, so he desecrated their altar. And then he placed an uh, image or a, a statue of Zeus in the holy place. But Jesus is not talking about Antiochus, because Antiochus was even in the past when Jesus was speaking. Do you follow? Because if he's in 33 AD, he's, speaking, he's not speaking of Antiochus that happened in 167 BC. He's speaking about the one that is yet to come, that Daniel 927 is speaking of. It's important to understand that, right? And so, and this, the titles of this world leader, he's got a lot of titles. We're not going to go through all these. Uh, even Paul the Apostle in Second in Thessalonians uh, tells us that let no one deceive you by any means for that day, meaning the day of Christ, the second coming physically of Christ to the earth, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. Who is the man of sin? The Antichrist. See, the, the second coming of Christ to the earth can't happen until these other things precede it. The man of sin has to be revealed. And some believe that the word, unless the falling away comes, and I'll start a controversy right now. That word is um, uh, apostasia, and it can mean a physical taking, a physical departure. That could be, I mean, this is a rapture verse, to be honest with you, regardless. But th- if that is true, then that makes it even more of a scripture in the rapture category. Okay, but so the rapture has to come first. The man of sin has to be revealed who exalts and opposes himself above all that is called God or that is worship. So that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That hasn't happened. That's going to happen in the midpoint of that tribulation. Tribulation. Now, there's other scriptures here, Revelation. We don't have time to go through those. We've we've looked at those. But the mention of the holy place here in verse 15 presumes that a temple had to be built prior to this. And there's no temple right now on the Temple Mount. I've been there. I've seen it. You've seen it too. You've seen pictures. There's no temple. But once the church is removed, this... This man, whoever he is, nobody's going to call him the Antichrist. He's not going to have a title. Who are you? Well, I am the Antichrist. No, there's not going to be a little, you know, hello, my name is kind of deal. He's probably going to be the smoothest politician you've ever seen. He's probably going to be multilingual. He's probably going to dress nice. The ladies are going to love him. He's going to look great. He's going to sound great. He's going to have it all together. Man, he's going to be moving, moving the mover and the shaker and intelligent and inspired by Satan. Satan. Everybody thinks that the devil is this, you know, pitchfork with the with the pointy tail and red, you know, pointy ears. Hey, listen, you gotta understand something. If that's the way you think the devil is, he's gonna bamboozle you till the cows come home. Sometimes the devil is the most clean, most beautiful, and, and I say this in the physical, not in the spiritual, but he can come to you, guys. Ever heard of the devil in a blue dress? He can come to you, ladies, he can come to you tall, dark, and handsome. Have all, everything going for him. He smells nice, looks nice, oh my gosh. Hunk Ola, right? He could have everything going and you're just like, where have you been all my life? And that person could be completely different than what you think. And Satan loves to masquerade as, an angel of light. Isn't that what the scripture tells us? He's not going to come and go, Boo! He's not going to wear a little suit with the tail, you know, with a little horn. He's going to come to you in a way that you're going to go, Wow, man, this is so good. This feels so good. It sounds so good. Everything about this is good, and your flesh is going to be enamored with it. And the world will be enamored with this man of sin. They're going to be falling over themselves, over this guy. Verse 16, then let those who are in Judea, when this happens, Jesus is saying, when you see the abomination of desolation, Jews, in the last days, when that does happen, and they are going to see it, and they're going to have a, a scriptures with them in the tribulation, someone's going to open up their scripture and go, oh my gosh, this is exactly what Jesus told us. And what were his instructions when the man of sin comes on the scene? When he puts the, the image of himself in the temple, like it tells in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I think it's verse 9 or 11 or something like that, he's going to do it. And what are they going to do? Their directions are to flee for the hills and don't stop. Don't even go in to pick up your stuff in your house. You'd better get out of there quickly because you are going to be hunted. And all those Jews already know that they're going to flee to Basra and Petra. Where There is a place prepared for her for a times, a time, a time, a times and a half a time. Three and a half years. It tells us that in Revelation 12. You can read it for yourself. So let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the house stop, go down and not take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. In other words, get out of Dodge. You know, these are some, uh, a map of that. Um, there's... um. And Isaiah 63 and these other host of scriptures, we've we've looked at this in the weeks prior, so we're not going to go through this for the sake of time because I'm already running out of time. Um, All of these scriptures point to the idea that God is going to secure this fold, this believing remnant. He's going to secure them in Basra, in what you and I call Petra. And uh, there are Christians today that are filling the insides of these labyrinths of these tunnels and all these in this rock city, Petra, filling it with scripture, anticipating the day when the Jews go there, they're going to have everything they need. It's in Jordan. Pretty crazy, huh? But woe to those, verse 19, who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies, because and pray that your flight be not in the winter or on the Sabbath for the obvious reasons, the weather uh, problems and the Sabbath, the lack of mobility. Everything in Israel kind of shuts down on the Sabbath. It does. I've been there, and everything shuts down. And you're not going to be able to get out easily if, if this happens on the Sabbath. So the Lord requires them to pray that this, when this happens, pray that it doesn't happen in the winter or on the Sabbath. And I hope that the Jews are praying now about that day. Because Jesus told them to pray. For then will be, notice verse 21, here's a, a really great um, mile marker, if you, or a time reference. For then there will be great tribulation. Do you see the intensity pushing forward now? Because in verse 9 it says they will deliver you up to tribulation. And now in verse 21 it says now there's going to be great tribulation. The idea is it was intense back then, but as each successing year of those seven years commences, the intensity and the frequency of the judgments are going to unleash and it's going to become unbearable. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And um, we looked at, uh, you know, different charts of where this, you know, in the second half of this seven-year period uh, when this is going to happen. And we looked at some scriptures, if you remember, speaking of those uh, Old Testament scriptures that speak of this great tribulation that is going to come. Old Testament scriptures that are referring to things yet future. And there's uh, also, um, uh, let's see. Let's go to verse 22. and. Wrap this up quickly. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, the elect is the Jewish remnant, we believe, because this is all about the Jews and the nation of Israel. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And then if anyone says, look here, here is Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if, if possible, even the elect. So the elect, it's not going to be possible. For those Jews, they will not be deceived. But unbelievers are going to be deceived. He says, see, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say, look, he is in the desert, speaking of the Messiah, do not go out. Or, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Do you understand that this event of Jesus returning to the earth is not going to be something that's going to be unseen. It's going When the rapture occurs, it's going to be very private it's going to happen and some people will notice it but it's not going to be a global visual thing but when this happens oh my goodness the bible says that the the stars and the moon and the sun are all going to grow dark and then they're going to see the sign and and i said it this morning and like like the shekinah glory coming from heaven and they're going to see it afar off and it's going to be a bright light And he's going to come like a freight train And it's going to be the brightest light, and everyone will see it. Because there will be no other light except that light penetrating the heavens, coming to earth, to earth, to judge the wicked and to rescue his remnant. Can I get a hallelujah in the house? Yes, this is awesome. And even Revelation tells us that, that, uh, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Every eye, every the word "every" in the Greek means uh, all, and all the tribes of the earth it means all. Okay, so let's just forget that. And for wherever the carcasses, there will the eagles be gathered together. And again, we looked at this this morning, and I believe that based on the context of this of this end time. Scenario that, and it says, for wherever the carcasses, there the eagles will be gathered together. Well, eagles don't really feed on carcasses. They're not carrion birds. They like fresh food. They like going across the lake and snatching up a fish and taking off, or a ground weasel or something. But if you got a dead something in the road, vultures will take care of that. So we believe these are vultures that are speaking of here. And, um, uh,. And the battle, the battle that is spoken of, uh, that is coming where these birds are going to feast on kings and horsemen and horses that are going to be decimated, not only by the Antichrist and the bloodshed that he is going to bring, but the bloodshed that when Christ comes back to the earth with his mouth is going to go out a sharp two-edged sword and it's going to, in one word, he's going to speak and everyone who are standing on their feet, their eyes are going to dissolve in their heads. Those kind, That kind of imagery is given to us in Zechariah where it says, And this shall be the plague which with the Lord will strike all the people who fight against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongue shall dissolve in their mouths. This is a great and horrible judgment that God is going to pour out on a world when he comes back. And we will come back with him. It tells us in Revelation 19 that we will come back with him. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, notice the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. The same language that we saw in some of the Old Testament prophets like Joel 2, verse 1 through 11 and Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 16. We've already looked at this in a few previous Sundays. And then the sign of the sun will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Hallelujah. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect. Again, uh, from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. We looked at this this morning. When he comes back, he is going to gather all of those Jews that have been scattered all over the world. He's going to gather them all together from one end of the earth to the other end of heaven. That's what it says in, in several passages in um. Uh, let me see, a a number of them. (laughs) I'll just leave it there. We've already looked at this this morning. But verse 31 has nothing to do, it sounds very rapture-esque, but it has nothing to do with the church. It's all about the Lord gathering together. The elect at that time is going to be the Jewish remnant. It's not us. Because we're with the Lord when he comes back. So this Jewish, this elect is speaking of of the Lord. Now I want to finish with this one verse. I can't believe this happened. I actually got through it, but just give me two more minutes, and we'll be finished. Um, <laughs> I'm a big mouth, and I uh, admittedly will will say it, an- anytime time I can get through something uh, like this is a miracle because uh, I, I I just love this. It's the Bible, right? But the one thing I want to share with you, and I shared with you this morning, but I just want to re iterate it is the faithfulness of God to his people when he comes back for when he comes back in his second coming he is first going to the bible tells us in isaiah 63 he's going to rescue that remnant in petra in basra he's going to rescue them because they are under great heat in a sense great heat great battle he's going to rescue them and he's going to march up Uh, he's got a campaign. There's several things he's going to do, but at one point he's going to go up to the Mount of Olives and he's going to stand on it and it's going to cleave in two. Right? But one thing I want to leave you with is just how faithful God is to not only you and me, the church, but also faithful to his remnant. The Lord being faithful to the promise that he made to Israel long ago. In fact, let me just read this short passage and then we'll be done, okay? It was made to Israel in 1406 B.C. Right before they came into the promised land. They left Egypt in 1446. They were in the desert for 40 years. At 1406, they crossed the Jordan into the promised land and they began to inhabit and conquer the land. Right? At that time... It's recorded for us in Deuteronomy. Notice this. It says, Now it shall come to pass. This is Deuteronomy. Let me see if I can find it. Deuteronomy verse 30, 1 through 4. It it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you. Because right prior to this, he's talking about blessings and cursings. Two chapters worth. It's really exciting. You can read it. Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children with, with all of your heart and with all of your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. Did he do that? He has. Is he going to do it at that time too? Is he going to bring them back for their captivity? He will. Notice what he says. Here's the promise. That the Lord your God will bring you back from the captivity and have compassion on you and gather you From all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you, if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Isaiah tells us that he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Doesn't that language sound just like what we read in verse 31? It is. He's going to gather them because he's going to be faithful to his promise. And again, all of this information, this is a fantastic chapter, and it's, it's heavy. And it's been a great joy. I'm, almost, I'm, almost, I'm going to be sad when this is behind us, but we're getting into the, even the best parts when Christ uh, goes in, 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 um, for his, his death and his resurrection. But I must confess, this has been a very fruitful time for me personally as I've just dove into this like at the bottom of the Marianas Trench and it's been a great and wonderful time for me. And I hope that all of you have enjoyed it as much as I have. Just opening your hearts and minds to see the things that, have, that God has uh, shown us in advance that are coming. But again, just to leave you finally, um, as I did this morning, you know, all of these things are good, but it, it must provoke something in us. Don't allow this just to be head knowledge. Allow it to get from your mind, from up here to your heart. Because the Lord gave us these things not so that we could gloat about end times or eschatology. He didn't give us these things so that we could have our minds filled with knowledge and be able to quote chapter and verse and go through the whole, all these different phases and all these different dispensations. No, he gave it to us to certainly do that, but for us to, um, to be serious about what's coming, I mean, he's told us. And so he who has this hope in himself purifies himself. Not that we can purify ourselves, but we have a practical responsibility with the Spirit of God in us to put off the old man, put off the deeds of the flesh, and put on the new man, right? That is our responsibility, and that's what we should be doing. But also, we should be sharing with the people around us, all of our family and friends, you know, don't be ashamed to go online and all of. The, if you got podcasts or you know Apple or Google, or if you go on our website, you can you can send them these links to these videos or to these uh, audio files, and you can send them to them and say, "Hey, listen to this whole series of things," and let the Lord do what He's going to do. But I promise you this: that when people hear the Word of God, it ought to provoke them. To some action. For us, it ought to provoke us to holiness, certainly, and also to understand that our great commission is before us. We are to go out and warn people, to love them, yes, to share the truth with them in love. And there's the the kicker share the truth in love. And the truth sometimes hurts. Don't be afraid, it's supposed to. It's like a salt to a wound. But we have to go out and tell people. We have to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. We can avoid this horrible thing that's coming if we give our heart to Christ. And it sounds escapist, and that's okay, because it is. I don't care if it's escapist. I really don't. If it wasn't in the Bible, I wouldn't be sharing it. And I'm not the only one. This is nothing new. This is many great men of God, uh, great, wonderful men, are, are, are teaching the same thing. This is not rocket science. Just read it and l- compare it with the other parts of the Bible. It's really that simple. So let it affect you. And if we believe these things, share it with someone. Sit down with them and say, you know, these things are coming upon the earth. Can't you see them? Aren't you seeing how things are ramping up toward this end? And it is. And Christ is coming. Are you prepared for his coming? Are you prepared for when the, the Lord raptures the church? If you're a Christian, you're going to be prepared. It's going to happen. But if you don't know Christ, that day is going to come and you are going to be left to go through that tribulation period, that Daniel 70th week. And folks, the Bible tells us that the delusion at that time will be so incredibly great Don't think for a minute that you're going to have the will and the wits about you to withstand that deception. God says that He's going to send a great delusion because they did not love the truth. A great delusion, and if God sends a great delusion, oh my goodness! If I've seen even a portion of the enemy's delusion, what happens when God sends a delusion? It's not going to look good. So give your heart to Christ now in the age of grace. And that's the message we have to get out to people, to tell them that Jesus loves them. He died for their sin. And to warn them of things to come. It's worth warning about. If, I, if, if my daughter is taking her big wheel. And she's going down our driveway. When she was a little girl. And this happened. <laughs> she's on her big wheel. And she's going out. And there's a road out in front of us. And cars zip by there. And she was just hauling tail. Down there with her big wheel. Looking at her feet. And just moving like this. And I had to yell. Stop. Because if I saw the trouble. That wasn't, was coming. My love. For her is demonstrated to keep her from experiencing pain and death. And see, that's what we need to do. Love people enough to tell them the truth, because you don't want anybody going through what is coming. Amen. Amen, let's pray. You can stand if you, let's stand and let's, let's stand and pray. You've been sitting for an hour listening to me, Jab, and Gab. Love it. Father, we just thank you for this time together, and uh, Lord, we ask that you would give us that heart. Lord, uh, work these things in us that, uh, Lord, that it would appropriate in us, Lord, just a sense of uh, the urgency to a call to holiness and purity. And those two words are not very well accepted in our culture but, Lord, you've called us to be holy because you are holy. And so, Lord, do that work in us and give us a heart for the lost and to be willing to warn them, to tell them the truth, uh, not only about your love and what you've done to secure them, but also the danger and the destruction that awaits those who turn their back. And, Lord, you've given that choice to each one of us, and I thank you that I've chosen, by your grace, and hopefully all my friends and Brothers and sisters here, we've all made that choice. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.